Good afternoon, my name is Scott, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the 10th Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies call about the 2016 presidential race. With Election Day quickly approaching, we have rebranded this series as Road to the Oval Office, and will be soon launching a podcast starting with our commentary live from RNC and DNC. Our call today will be moderated by Blake Rutherford, a member of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Our speakers this afternoon are Howard Schweitzer, managing partner of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, and Malk Alderman, chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. All phone lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. If you have questions during the call, submit them via email to presidentialanalysis at cozen.com. Blake Rutherford, you may begin your conference. Thank you very much, uh, and welcome everyone to uh, our continued uh, series uh, discussing the 2016 uh, presidential race. Uh, as we noted, we have rebranded this road to the Oval Office, and we're excited about some developments that we'll be launching um, in the coming weeks. We'll obviously uh, be live from the Republican National Convention in Cleveland and the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia, and then eventually this series will be um, will evolve into a podcast form, um, which will be available on iTunes, and we'll have a lot more information about that um, as as we get closer to launch. But um, I wanted to welcome, as always, my colleagues Mark Alderman and Howard Schweitzer from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies uh, to talk about the state of the political race. Uh, Mark Howard, uh, welcome to the call. Thanks, Blake. Good to be here uh, for our 10th call. Uh, the time is flying. That's exactly right. Time is flying. And, you know, it, it, it has been a few weeks since since we've hosted a call. Certainly, um, summer is uh, the early part of summer is a time where it's traditionally um, a bit quieter. Uh, the gap between the end of the primaries, which concluded the first mm -hmm. and second week of June, uh, to the conventions um, are usually opportunities for campaigns to regroup, uh, rebuild their coffers, um, transition from a primary election strategy to a general election strategy, uh, identify their running mates, and then relaunch at the convention. But this has hardly been a quiet summer, Mark. Um, it's been a very active summer. Um, and I want to, uh, before we get to a discussion of of the Republican National Convention, which which begins Monday in Cleveland, um, I, I wanted to just talk about a couple of big events that that we did see over the summer that that have impacted this race. And I want to I want to start first with Donald Trump because, you know, it was after a successful primary bid. Um, you know, we had talked a number of times on these calls about whether Trump was capable of not necessarily rebranding Trump, but minimizing some of the very big mistakes that Trump uh, is prone to make, and whether he was capable of installing some discipline both in his campaign organization and in himself uh, to avoid the kind of, of mishaps that really have driven his negatives very high um, and for a while put him at a at a very serious disadvantage um, against the Democrats, and and that really to, to an extent has and, and and has not happened. I mean, we saw 
um, in recent weeks, Donald Trump's campaign publishing uh, a tweet with a six-pointed star next to a pile of cash um, as an attack against Hillary Clinton, which many, many, many people um, declared was not only uh, anti-Semitic, but, but hateful. And his son-in-law, uh, Jared Kushner, who is the publisher of the New York Observer, had to respond uh, to his father-in-law's tweet in an, in an op-ed in his own newspaper. And then Donald Trump also uh, declared that Saddam Hussein was very good at killing terrorists, um, which prompted a, a very swift backlash from a wide swath of Democrats and Republicans. Um, and, and on the Democratic side, we have what was very big news um, in that the FBI uh, made a recommendation to the Justice Department not to bring charges against Secretary Hillary Clinton or anyone on her staff uh, regarding her use of a private email server uh, while she was in the State Department. Um, but at the same time, uh, the director of the FBI made some very uh, stern comments about uh, that practice, um, declaring that it was extremely careless, among other things, and then later testified before Congress and the Attorney General of the United States, who accepted the FBI's recommendations, also testified before Congress about it. So, Mark, it's been a it's been a pretty busy summer. Before we get to the conventions, I thought I would just get your perspective on the impact of those events or or other events that we've seen um, leading up to leading up to Cleveland, um, and 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 really just kind of how you see the state of 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 these candidates um, as we as we get into two full weeks of of convention activity. Sure. Well, agreed. Everything you said, I think, is spot on. Both candidates have been going in all different directions. I think that Trump, notwithstanding the tweet and the Hussein comments, has actually, in the last four or five days since the atrocities in Dallas, has conducted himself uh, in a more presidential manner, certainly, than we saw after the uh, Orlando tragedy. I think Secretary Clinton has been hurt by the FBI uh, press conference. I think we have to find out what the shelf life is on that. But at the same time, just just look at yesterday. This has been such an extraordinary cycle some good, some bad, most in between, but every day brings remarkable events. Yesterday alone, you had President Obama and former President Bush addressing the ceremonies uh, in, in Dallas, which was a very meaningful uh, moment, I think, for the whole nation. You had at the same time uh, Bernie endorsing Hillary in, in in the manner that only Bernie could manage. It was uh, it was a Bernie Sanders endorsement, is what it was, where 
He talked a lot more about himself than about her, but he did it, and and, and that is meaningful. And you have the absolutely, uh, to my mind, unprecedented back and forth between a sitting Supreme Court justice and the Republican nominee. So I, I think the only thing you can reliably say about the state of the race and the state of these candidacies is that it is all yet to be determined. It is razor thin close nationally and in the swing states. The conventions are going to be important. But really, I expect it to continue going in this absolutely unprecedented way right through November 8th. Yeah, I mean, Mark, I, I, I do want to, uh, you know, I want to I want to elaborate a little bit on on uh, on the events of of yesterday, because I, I think they certainly certainly have cast a, a you know, a sh- a shadow, if you will, over over this presidential race. We obviously had to 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 echo your words and sentiments, the atrocities in Dallas, but then a very, very powerful event um, a yesterday with both former President Bush, who is beginning to play a more active role on uh, the Republican campaign trail, but, but won't be at the Republican National Convention, um, and President Obama, who has played a big role in the last few weeks um, with Secretary Clinton and who we expect will play a very big role at the Democratic National Convention. Um, right. I, I, I wonder, Mark, if, if you might just just elaborate on on your reactions to your reactions to yesterday, not really so much in the 2016 context, but just in the in the context of the American political landscape. It is it goes without saying it's incredibly unfortunate that 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 the two presidents were were there under under those those such sad circumstances. But nevertheless, it. It is, it is a reminder, I think, both of of certainly some of the the opportunities that that Republicans see with with former President Bush and 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 some of his comments, and certainly the powerful oratory of President Obama, which in in, in my own mind, um, and you know the president much better than I do, and 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 are are much more familiar with with the arc of, of, of his oratory, but, but may have been the best speech I ever heard him give. Well, I think so, Blake. I thought that it was the best speech that he has ever given, and I thought it was exactly the speech that the nation needs completely apart from politics and this presidential cycle. We are a nation in mourning, a nation in mourning for the five officers who were murdered in Dallas, as well as for the two unarmed black men who were killed by police the same week. There is violence uh, uh, all around us, and the American heart is big enough to mourn both sides at the same time. But I think the question without politicizing this. I think it is a question about the the country's soul. 
The question is whether these events, which we all pray stop happening, but we all know are not going to, whether these events cause us as a country in this election to look for someone who can unite us, or whether these events drive us uh, into an even deeper division. If these events cause us to seek someone who can unite us, notwithstanding her many, many limitations and flaws, I think that Secretary Clinton has the better side of that. I don't think anybody thinks that Donald Trump is the candidate to unite the nation. But if, on the other hand, each side here goes to its corner and, and regroups for the next round of the fight, then, then we are going to see an election that is going to be extremely brutal and extremely close, and nobody has an advantage in that election, least of all the country. Blake, it's it's Howard. Howard, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna get your your thoughts uh, and uh, and reactions to that. Look, I mean, obviously, yesterday was incredibly moving and important for the country, but I think it's it's not so much for me a nation divided, undivided, who can bring us together. It's like the the contrast, the the contrast between um, what we saw to to one sitting president, one former president come together to do yesterday and and the kind of divisiveness, which of course we're going to have up until election day, Mark. I mean, there's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, and and the, the, that to me is what, is what stood out. Um, I think both of these candidates are um, that by nature. They always have been. Um, Hillary always has been. Um, if they'd stop shooting themselves in each of their own two feet, um, which is what's happening more than anything else, um, maybe we could make some headway. But 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 until then, um, you know, this is it's not it's not so much um, a, the fact that it's a divided country or not a divided country, but it's going to be a very harsh and and divided election well and 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 let's let's use that as a as a pivot point to 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 these conventions because um you know presidential conventions and and mark you 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 and howard both have been to many of them as have i um they they evolve i was i was watching um was up the other night and on c-span in the 19 76 Republican convention was playing on television and there was it was it was as as if you were you were literally watching a uh, an an organic documentary there was no theater of any kind it was just um it was just the business of the convention and here we are today where Donald Trump is going to come into Cleveland a, uh, you know certainly a, a not shy to the to the power of the medium of television um, and the value of a a carefully curated convention, um, but these these conventions also 
give both candidates an opportunity based on, I think, some of the things that we saw over the summer. I think some of the sentiments that we're, we're, we're seeing in the country that both of you have articulated as an opportunity to frame their candidacy. And I want to start just because Cleveland is right around the corner. You both will be in Cleveland. Uh, Jim Schultz uh, from Cozen O'Connor is already in Cleveland. Um, and so you'll be, you'll be there with, with an eye towards, um, you know, what's taking place. But, Howard, I want to I come back to you and, and, and get some general thoughts about, about what Cleveland means for, for Donald Trump. Um, how does Trump utilize the conventions and the opportunity that the convention presents to frame his general election candidacy or to sort of correct um, some of the challenges that he's um, created both for himself um, and for the electorate um, as we as he looks to springboard um, into the fall. Blake, my expectation for Cleveland is as follows. First of all, I think the Republican Party is going to continue to appear to be a divided party. And there's going to be a struggle, not that's going to result in somebody other than Donald J. Trump being the candidate, but there's going to continue to be a struggle for um, the future of the Republican Party. I think we're, we're in the midst of watching... Um, watching that live the republican this may we may be witnessing the the demise of the republican party um but i think fundamentally what trump's going to do is the same thing he's done for the entire campaign which is first of all surprise us in some ways and second of all use the convention and maybe even the controversy at the convention, not maybe even, but I think most definitely the controversy at the convention to continue to position himself as the candidate who is willing to take on the establishment. And if that's the only thing he gets out of Cleveland, along with some good production value, I think he, he will have considered it a success. This is not conventions as usual. Mark, I wanna I wanna get I wanna get your thoughts about about the you know Trump's positioning at at the RNC. We're we're seeing, you know, now that that some high profile um, folks are gonna speak at the convention. Speaker Paul Ryan's gonna going to speak at the convention, but he's going to talk about his agenda, um, right. not necessarily a Trump agenda. Um, you know, my my uh, former home state of Arkansas, Senator Tom Cotton, announced he'll speak at the convention, but he's talking about his agenda for military and veterans. Um, there seems to be a lot of that, Mark, a lot of a lot of speakers who are talking about their agenda um, not necessarily Donald Trump's agenda. And I wonder if you think, A, does any of that matter? Um, and B, if you're Trump, how do you create synergy at, at a convention where it really feels like it's kind of every man for himself? 
Well, I think that is what is happening, and I think it does not matter. What is happening is very interesting because you have still the machinery of the Republican Party dominated by the conservatives. You have the most conservative platform in Republican Party history that has just been promulgated. And you have the nominee, the presumptive nominee, disagreeing with half the things in his own platform on trade, on abortion, and, and more. And yet he doesn't care because he isn't a Republican. He isn't a conservative. He is Donald Trump. And he is running against the very people who just wrote his platform and who are producing the convention. What he has is a majority of the delegates, and that's all that matters to him. And I think what you are going to see is all of those aforementioned conservative leaders coming and talking to each other about their agenda and Trump standing up there and saying, as he has repeatedly and as has been true, good for you. Uh, I can win with you. I can win without you. I'd rather have you on my side. But if you choose not to be, go. Because I'm Donald Trump and I'm going to win as Donald Trump. So it it's a darn unusual convention that we're about to attend out there. Uh, Howard, I, I, one of the one of the big things to come, of course, is the announcement of Trump's vice presidential candidate, which word has come today that he's planning an event for Friday um, in which which he'll unveil his pitch. Um, I'm not, I promise not to make any apprentice jokes on this call, but but his audition process has been fairly public. Um and it, it has involved a number of people, but it seems that the leading contenders right now are Indiana Governor Mike Pence, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, and former House Speaker Newt Gingrich. Whether that's right or not, this is Donald Trump, and I think I would expect one of your reactions to one of my forthcoming questions being, who knows, because um, you know Trump could change his mind at the last minute. But but we have on previous calls, and I think would all agree that this is a significant moment um, for Trump, and that his VP pick is 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 a political advantage to him if he gets it right. Um, if he gets it wrong, of course, we've seen where that can devolve into into a liability. I thought, Howard, we might just get your your general thoughts about about the value of the VP pick to Trump and then some commentary about where you think this goes. Well, Blake, we know from past elections that at the end of the day, the VP doesn't really move the needle a whole heck of a lot um, in terms of the lever people decide to pull. Um, in November. Um, this is a different election, but I don't know. I, I, at the end of the day, it's about Trump and it's about Hillary. Um, 
And maybe because Trump is a political, quote-unquote, novice, um, it, it matters a little bit more. Um, that remains to be seen. But I think, look, I think among those three, Christie is clearly going to end up in a Trump administration in a position of responsibility, either White House chief of staff or attorney general. Um, I, I doubt he winds up as, as the, the VP because although Trump is more comfortable with him, um, he's got baggage and that's going to undermine their ability to uh, take Hillary to the political woodshed over her own baggage, which um, I'd love to go back to at some point. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, among Pence and, and Gingrich, what I've heard from inside the campaign is that Trump is more personally comfortable with Gingrich and that his people are more comfortable with Pence. And you got to figure at the end of the day, well, one, like you said, he'll probably make a bit of an impulsive choice at the end of the day. But just based on that, you got to give the nod to what he's most personally comfortable with. And, and so I guess that's Gingrich. I, what does that get him? It gets him somebody who can speak to the issues, is a you know is going to be a good debater, and maybe gives him a little bit more eloquence from a from a policy point of view. It doesn't get him somebody who's going to improve his relations from co with Congress, or who knows how to run government. So, not frankly, none of these picks excite me, and I I think. He, if he was a less polarizing candidate, he'd have, uh, you know, many better choices. But um, I guess I'd have to say Gingrich at this point, based on based on what we're hearing. Mark, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's, it, it, it's it, certain. It doesn't. I'm matter. sorry. Go ahead, Mark. It it doesn't matter in my view. This is as Howard just said. Yeah, this is about Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. The vice presidential pick rarely matters. You have to almost go back to 1960 and Kennedy and Johnson and Johnson carrying Texas for it really to have counted. But it, it is all upside for Trump because even if he blows the pick, and the most recent example of that would be McCain and Palin, where after a burst of enthusiasm, she proved herself to be completely unqualified, and that hurt McCain's candidacy. I, I can't imagine who Donald Trump could pick who could hurt his candidacy. He's already done all of the many, many things we know would have disqualified any other candidate, and he's about to claim the nomination. So I think there is almost no downside for him. I think there is only upside, but very little upside. And I kind of think, having no idea what this man is actually going to do, uh, I think Gingrich is, is probably the pick because he does what he wants, Trump that is. 
and we know he is comfortable with Gingrich. I, I will just observe one, one more extraordinary fact here. It was pointed out to me by a Democratic, I admit, friend of mine yesterday. You know, Ronald Reagan was the first president uh, elected who had been divorced. That was now 30-some years ago. But but look where we have come. If if Newt Gingrich is Donald Trump's running mate, you will have two candidates who between them will have had six wives, and nobody cares. Nobody's talking about that either. So it it is. I, I go back to what I said before. It is it is the most unusual election any of us has ever seen. So. It, just a reminder to all of our readers, we'll be doing a call um, next week live from Cleveland. We'll get information out about that, but but both of you will um, will be on the ground there. I'm, I'm certainly interested to see what it's like. I mean, we, we haven't talked about some of the external challenges that 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 could overshadow um, that could overshadow Cleveland, things that happen uh, either inside the arena involving uh, disruptions from delegates and interest groups are outside the arena, um, and and so it'll be interesting um, once once um, once you're on the ground in Cleveland and we have a real sense of 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 what the what the look and feel of that convention is actually like. I think it'll be it'll be fun to talk about. I'm looking forward to that next week. Um, but I do want to I do want to pivot to the to the Democrats and and Howard come back to you um, with with just some general commentary about about you know where you see um kind of the state of the uh, of the Clinton campaign in the in the aftermath of of the the FBI director's comments about um about the uh the email server the decision uh not to not to recommend charges um and and the fallout uh from that optically and 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 then practically Mark and I you know, discussed a, a little bit of that from his perspective, but I wanted to invite you into that conversation as kind of a preview to our uh, to the Democratic National Convention. Well, thanks, and I think it fits in because I think Hillary has much more to gain from her convention than Trump does from from his, in the sense that she's got a she's really got to move past. She's got to use this to move past all that. She's got to use it to. Um, generate enthusiasm for her candidacy among the the core um, of the Democratic Party. Um, the president, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, I mean, all all of the 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 major people that, that will speak, um, she's got to emerge from there and I think probably will um, with a united Democratic Party that stands in stark contrast to to a a divided Republican Party um, that's motivated to to go to the polls for her in in November, you know, I it's been a horrible period for her, deservedly so. Again, I mean, her staff took out a gun and, and shot themselves in the foot. Um, that's what's gone on here. They have no one to blame for what's transpired but but themselves. And um, it it's it's almost it's it's unbelievable. I mean, you wouldn't 
believe this if you read it in a, a novel. It, it's really, I mean, the notion that, and, and they got taken to task. The notion that they would be so cavalier on this email thing and, and knowingly put out misinformation to the public, I think very carefully not lied under oath or lied to a government official. But that's the perception she's got to deal with now. She's got to deal with the the juxtaposition of having lied to the American people and told the truth to the FBI and not gotten held accountable for it. It's political accountability. The FBI director took her to task politically and her job now is to find a way to move to to put the past in the past and 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 move 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 over it, move beyond it, and that's what the convention represents. And the mark the convention here in, you know, our 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 home base of Philadelphia, the city is is beginning to come alive in terms of in terms of its planning, I think, and, and enthusiasm and excitement uh, for the convention, but but based on Howard's comments, Mark, I mean, I mean, one, do you agree that that Hillary has more to gain from her convention, and two, is the convention the opportune time to move past some of the challenges we've talked about? Well, I do agree that she has more to gain because I believe it's the opportunity to pull the party together and to circle the wagons around her, as Howard said, the president, the vice president, Senator Warren, Senator Sanders, Senator Booker, and more. And it is the traditional platform in place for doing that. So I expect it to be a very positive convention. I think that moving past the email scandal is going to take more than a good convention, although uh, it, it should be a good start. And I think that one of her challenges, and we've talked about this before, I think it's actually part of the calculus in her vice presidential pick, one of her challenges is that there are going to be a number of people at that convention speaking from the rostrum and otherwise who are going to generate a lot more excitement than Hillary Rodham Clinton is going to. So she she has to pull the party together, circle everybody around her without becoming invisible in, in the process. And that that is going to require a the performance of a lifetime by her on Thursday night. I mean, the the we we can never discount the the theatrics in the in the age of television. We also can't discount the power of uh, of a of a major speech at a convention. I, I certainly you know harken back to 2012 and President Bill Clinton's speech. Um, at the at, at that convention, um, which I thought was was a was a big moment um, in that campaign for for President Obama and generated a lot of enthusiasm and energy. Uh, at the same time, we've seen big mistakes at conventions. Um, in 2012, Clint Eastwood talking to an empty chair um, yeah. is just one example. 
Um, so, so with with that in mind, Mark, I mean, you know, where there are news reports out that that Elizabeth Warren may be speaking on Monday night. I, I think you you would agree that she's one of those people who's going to generate a lot of enthusiasm. Um, but if she's speaking on Monday night, it suggests that she's not going to be the vice presidential pick. And 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 in and in previous calls and conversations, she certainly was was high on your list. If if you were if you were in right. charge of the process, um, right. so so I I wonder if you might just talk about how do you I mean you were there both in 2012 and, and 2008 directly with with the president. You've been to conventions, you know, uh, many many times. I mean, how does the Clinton campaign really deal with that? How does it deal with with the, with an enthusiasm gap even within within the confines of the Wells Fargo Center where this convention is going to take place? Well, I think she has to hope that it uh, follows one path rather than another. The the memorable speech at a convention is almost never the nominee. And sometimes the memorable speech is wonderful for the nominee, as President Clinton's was in 2012 for President Obama, as Barack Obama, State Senator Barack Obama's was in 2004 for John Kerry. In 1980, Ted Kennedy's The Dream Will Never Die speech was... uh, was not especially helpful for uh, for President Carter, and, and we know how that election ended. So there, there is precedent on both sides, and I think that what she has to do is embrace whomever and whatever is said that excites the the hall. She has to be part of it instead of on the other side of it. Carter was on the wrong side of one of the great speeches in convention history. Kerry and Obama were on the right side of great speeches. And to be on the right side, she has to embrace and and make it part of her own. I think, Blake, the the Democrats have an opportunity here. I have a different perspective. It's not Hillary embracing what other people say it's other people embracing Hillary. And if this is all about message discipline, if the Democrats, usually it's the Democrats that are the more diverse and kind of um, unpredictable um, uh, convention. I think in this case, it's, it's clearly going to be the Republicans. And can the Democrats coalesce enough and be on their Hillary message enough and have a unified message enough and be disciplined enough. Um, so everything leads to up to, to Hillary's speech on Thursday night and she can say, yes, what, what all of them said. Um, that, this is about message discipline and, and unification. And if they can do that, it's yeah. going to be a great convention. And if they come off as, as a splintered party or as, the progressive wing versus the moderate wing, it's not going to be as successful, and I think it's that simple. Yeah, but Blake, I I think what we're going to see is each side getting through its convention in largely the same place where they are now. I think you're going to find 
we're going to have a good convention. The Republicans are going to have an okay convention. And then it's August, and they're still going to be within the margin of error in these polls. I think that world events are going to shape this election, and we, of course, don't know what they are, but they are very unlikely to be good. But I also think intrinsic within the campaign itself, the debates are going to be as important, maybe more so than ever before, because all the rest is everybody else talking about these two. And three times the American people are going to see these two standing there debating each other. And, yeah. and I expect those to be enormously consequential. One thing and I wanna, that's interesting, sorry, Blake, just logistically this year is the conventions are a month earlier than, than they've been, um, at least in, in recent cycles. Right. And, and so you've got so much more time between the convention and the election that's more time for other stuff to matter um, than for the convention to matter, which isn't to say that the conventions don't matter. I think we'll have a, a ton to talk about over the next two weeks, um, but it's just a, it, it does set up a different a different dynamic. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 that's it's something I wanted to follow up on with both of you. Which you know, number one, you have you have the, the conventions earlier. Two, they're back to back. You know, normally we talk about a post-convention bounce of some kind. Um, it's possible that that these these conventions, in essence, you know, become a wash. To your point, Mark, and I'm I'm of course, you know, have in front of me a new Quinnipiac poll today, battleground state poll that that shows statistically uh, Clinton and Trump tied in Florida, Florida, Ohio, and Pennsylvania, um, and and and. And if those polls are, are right, there's some some questions about the sampling and other things. But 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 um, we're going to see, I think, a trove of data over over the the next 24 to 48 hours um, as we try and get a snapshot of where this electorate is before before these conventions. And it may be closer than 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 we thought that it was. And and I I think one thing that that I wanted to I wanted to comment on a little bit about about the Democrats, where I, where I think they're this this is really going to be a, a fascinating convention to watch. Not only because you've got some big personalities, you know, to manage people who who can have showstopper moments. Not just Elizabeth Warren, uh, but Bernie Sanders is going to play a big uh, a big role, presumably at this convention. Um, what certainly the role of the president. Um, the vice president. What role does Bill Clinton play? Uh, Cory Booker. You've got you've got stars within the within the Democratic Party, and 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 you've got to figure out how to make all that come together and weave a coherent narrative, which which I I, I think certainly can be done by the Democrats, but 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 isn't isn't always as easy as it sounds. We focus on the Republicans from a from a from a problematic perspective, but. But the Democrats have to get have to get that get that messaging right and and stay aligned. And as the Republicans have the most conservative platform in party history, the Democrats have the most liberal platform in party history. Um, right. And so it'll it'll be pretty interesting to to see how all that comes together. But we 
we exit the conventions, Howard, to your point, um, you know, in, in August. Um, and, and then we, we really do gear up uh, for these debates, which I, I think are, are, are perhaps even going to be the most consequential. I mean, certainly presidential debates are, are always consequential, but, but these, these seem to, to, to be building to, to have an extraordinary consequence. Um, and, and I think it'll make for, for, for a fascinating, um, a fascinating uh, process as both of these candidates um, begin to position and get ready for three, I think, heavyweight bouts. I think they're, they're going to be really something to see. Like um, a note on the polls quickly, if, if I may. Yeah. And this doesn't cut either way. In fact, because they're essentially tied, it cuts both ways. But it's still way too soon and early to know anything. In, two, in July of 2000, Gore led Bush. In July of 2004, Kerry led Bush. In July of 2008, McCain led Obama. In July of 2012, Romney led Obama. It's just too early for these polls to tell you much at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I, I think that's right, Mark. I think one thing, though, that 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 is interesting. I mean, it 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 does give us a sense of trends, and I think one of the trends that that I think the media is going to exploit over the next twenty four to forty eight hours, and I think this is to Howard's point about about how to use a convention to to move past an issue. Hillary's um, honest and trustworthy numbers are, have, have taken a, a, a rather steep, steep decline, um, and we're seeing we're seeing additional data from young people um, where Hillary's performing poorly. Only 26% of of young whites have a favorable impression of her. Only 49% of young Hispanics have a favorable impression of her, and she's upside down and honest and trustworthy. Not just with those voters, but with with every sampling in the Quinnipiac poll of voters in Florida, Ohio, and Pennsylvania, and that was not the case, you know, three weeks ago. Um, and and so I think to to you know to an extent, of course, of course, you're exactly right. Um, but I do think there's a there's a trend developing here that I do think um, the Democratic convention. And and then what happens after that as as the campaign really pivots to the general um, can do to address that because it it would certainly seem that 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 is a is a consequence of the the FD, the FBI press conference and the determinations and comments made by the FBI director and so I think you I think you do have to deal with that Mark um, and and that's where I think this. This data has some has some relevance and value to to how the Clinton campaign maneuvers and, and in some ways reacts to Trump's convention too. Yeah, I think I that agree. Uh, it's, it's interesting. If it continues, it's interesting that um, the 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 data on younger voters keeps coming out so negatively for her. Um, you know, I saw an Iowa poll. I think it was a Mammoth poll. Um, among younger voters that where he was trouncing her. And gosh, she's got to find a way to speak to, she's got to find a way to speak to young people. Um, and, and 
I think the question, and Blake, you may, if I could turn the tables on the moderator, you may want to opine on the following, which is how disciplined is the Clinton campaign? Because I think everything we've seen to date, including the the fallout from the FBI investigation, was predictable. Um, they knew this was coming. It could have only been worse, but it was never going to be better. So, and, and we know the Trump campaign is undisciplined by nature. So, how how much is the Clinton campaign making this up as they go along every day versus executing a long-term battle plan? If they can execute a long-term battle plan and they stay disciplined, she's going to win this election. If they're all over the place, obviously on some level you have to react to each day's events, but if they are disciplined, she's going to win. If they're not, she has a much lower chance. Is she or isn't she? Yeah. What do you I, think about that? Yeah. Well, uh, wow. This is a, a moment for the for the moderator to comment. We'll see how this goes. Um, no, I, I think I think the campaign, and we talked a little bit about this, um, you know, a few weeks ago in, in sort of our our big moments of. Uh, of the primary season. And, and one of mine was that the Clinton campaign didn't panic after New Hampshire. Um, it stayed disciplined. It stuck to its plan and it won Nevada. It kept its team together. So all of the things that you saw that were problematic about Clinton's campaign in 08, uh, the undisciplined nature uh, of the of the infrastructure, the undisciplined nature of the message, the lack of planning in caucus states, the, the challenges by, with surrogates, um, are, are, I think have been minimized in, in this campaign. I think, there's, I think there's absolutely a long-term plan. I think they've stuck to it. I think that's why they won the primaries, even though Bernie you know, surged and, and, and did better than anyone ever expected him to do. So I think that discipline is there Howard I think there's there's lots of there's lots of evidence of it on the execution side on the on the mechanics of the campaign side I think you can look at her at her field organizations in battleground states just in Pennsylvania alone is is on pace to I think be be a be a bigger and more sophisticated field operation than than Obama had in 2012 in Pennsylvania whereas Trump's just not there and any of those mechanics. So I think the mechanics are all there, Howard, no question. Message discipline is always a challenge for any candidate, certainly because you've got to, you do have to react to, to the dynamics. And Trump, because he is undisciplined and unpredictable, I think that does create, cha that creates challenges. Those aren't, I don't mean that to suggest that they're deficiencies of, of Hillary Clinton. I just think they create challenges and you got to you got to react in the right way. But I think she has gotten much better at that. She's given some very strong speeches um, refuting Donald Trump. She is not afraid to go after him. So I think even the message discipline is coming together nicely. I think, Howard, the the challenge here is what is what we've talked about. It's what Mark talked about at the at the convention. It's what some of this data is showing is there's we got to deal. The Democrats have to deal with the enthusiasm. And I know that VP picks don't move the needle. I know we've said it. I know we've talked about it. 
But, Mark, uh, the VP pick here could have something to say about enthusiasm, and that's a deficiency in this campaign. Well, I agree. I want to say one thing about a strength and then come right back to the VP. In addition to everything that you said about the campaign, Blake, I think it is an enormous strength of the Clinton campaign that the campaign as an organization and Bill and Hillary Clinton as individuals, they have never underestimated Donald Trump. None of this is taking them by surprise. A lot of Democrats, we both know, have run around proclaiming the election over six different times now, and meanwhile, here we are, and it's tied. The Clintons have never presumed that this was going to be easy, and I think that they have a tremendous strength in having very early on accepted that this was going to be the war that it is. On the enthusiasm, I've said it on these calls before, I've published it, I've been on television talking about it, and I'm going to be proven wrong one more time. I think she should pick Elizabeth Warren. I think that picking Tim Kaine, whom I know and like and trust and respect, or picking Tom Vilsack, about whom I could say the same, I think that that is the safe bet And I think that there is no safe place to be when running against Donald Trump. I think she should pick an Elizabeth Warren or a Cory Booker, someone who is going to energize that ticket, because in an election against Trump, trying to play it safe is going to result in exactly what the 17 Republican contenders found it's going to result in second through 17th place. Right. So, you know, guys, with that, I mean, it, 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 we, are, we are coming to the, to the end of, of this call. I certainly want to thank, um, thank everyone for, for listening. You, you know, you both previewed it, and we didn't, we didn't get to it on this call, but I think we will certainly come back to it in the weeks ahead, which is the the ramifications of international events um, on on this campaign um, and what it means for for these candidates, and I'm not just talking about you know the the the, the threats of ISIS, although although we're we're certainly gonna gonna need to talk about that since it will it will be a voting issue, but also as we learn a little bit more about Brexit and as we learn a little bit more about the state of the EU. Um, and what what consequences, if any, that might have um, on on this election? I think there will be some interesting things to talk about. But but again, I, I'm excited um, that the conventions are here. I think it's 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 always always a fun time for for people who love politics. And and I'm looking forward to our call uh, next week in Cleveland. So we'll we'll get information out about that. And and, and excited to hear your perspectives once you've. Once you've had some time to spend to spend on the ground there, and then we'll we'll certainly uh, be um, be hosting calls from Philadelphia um, as as the Democratic National Convention kicks off on July 25th. So with that, again, thanks everyone for listening. Mark Howard, um, thanks to you for for participating in the call, and we look forward to talking to everyone um, on our next call. Thanks again. Thank you, Blake. Thanks.
Ladies and gentlemen, that is conclude the call for today. We thank you for your participation and ask that you please disconnect your line.